Make sure you check out our online store where we work with our graphic designer to create stunning garment and product designs that feature a wide variety of aircraft types such as British fighters, World War II aircraft, American bombers, Russian fighters and much more. You can pick your favourite designs and personalise any items within our Redbubble store that range from clothing right the way through to stationery. All of our designs feature our logo so you can show your support for the channel while getting a quality product. You can head to our website aircrewinterview.tv and click store or go to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash AC interview. Thank you and enjoy. So Rich, when did you first become interested in aviation? Oh, it goes back such a long way. Oh my goodness. Like when I was, uh, well, two years old, actually. So my dad used to read <laughs> bedroom stories and stuff. It was uh, the Jane's Observer Book of Aircraft. And we would just sit there looking at the three views and trying to, you know, memorize the, uh, the, the names of the aircraft and what they did and all that kind of thing. So it was so young, like bedtime stories as a kid. And then I, I took up a camera age seven. So, yeah, it's a, that's a long time ago now. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, yeah, we're all those ab geeks, like, we're all the same. Like, oh, you like planes and everyone's talking about football or whatever. And we're, I'm yeah, like, no, yeah, playing planes. <laughs> I think it, you, it's a weird thing, isn't it, with that, that bug of aeroplanes. If, if you haven't got it, it's really hard to describe it. But if you've got it, you've really got it, haven't you? You know, it's 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 really interesting. Like watching uh, within my family, obviously got you know two two kids now growing up and everything else, and you know they they sort of they haven't really got it. And yeah, I, I was with a couple of teenagers at the weekend at Heathrow, and they totally got it. You know, they were so into it all over social media and their Insta and, you know, everything, their whole life was around, like, you know, seeing what was coming into Heathrow next. And it's, it's, it's a weird phenomenon, isn't it, aviation? Absolutely. And you kind of answered the question here, but like, this is going to be the first question uh, for photography, but when did you yeah. become interested in aviation photography? Uh, so again, really early. So through my dad, uh, so he gave me a camera to use at the 1982 Farnborough Air Show. Uh, we lived in Farnborough, so we lived and grew up there. <clears throat> and uh, it was so much easier back then. You, know, you could get much closer to the aeroplanes and there was just more air shows. It's like an air show every weekend, wasn't there, you know, back then. So uh, it was really easy to get into it. Lots of different types of aeroplanes, lots of different colour lots of loud noises and variety. So yeah, going to an air show, kind of all the US Air Force open houses and the RF at home shows, like literally every weekend was was just, you couldn't help but catch that bug, you know? So from seven onwards, he gave me a camera. I think I got my own camera about uh, maybe 10 or 11, something like that. And then I had my first picture published uh, age 11. You know, we were on holiday in Scotland, just a B&B holiday, I still remember it. And uh, again, this world was a different place. So um, my dad rang up Lucas and said, look, want to come on for a day, any chance? And they were like, yeah, of course. So he, he was involved in sort of photography and journalism from all the way through as well. So and uh, he said, can I bring my lad with me? And uh, again, no problem. So I stood there as these triple one squadron phantoms were coming out the, the hazard uh, at Lucas. And one of them had special markings on them. So it was the first time it got seen and sent that photograph off to uh, Aviation News and they used it. And you imagine like as an 11 year old lad going into Smith's and seeing your, you know, where you're doing your paper round and going into the same <laughs> news agent and seeing Aviation News on the shelves with your, with your photo in, in, in there. It's just magic. And yeah, that never really left me that feeling. <laughs> and did you get paid for that as well? I did. Yeah, I did. I nice think it was, uh, <laughs> I think it was 
I, I, I'm trying to remember, about 14, 14 pounds, I think, something like that. But And the rates haven't really changed much in aviation either. <laughs> Needs to pay for round anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, did, so did you go through any courses or were you all self-taught? That's really interesting, isn't it? Um, I did nothing, actually. I left school. I didn't go to college. I didn't go to university. Uh, I've got no qualifications whatsoever to my name. It's it's just a it's just a really weird thing. It's all down to experience and getting my hands dirty and learning on the job. Obviously, I've you know um, learned from a lot of people along the way, uh, hands on, and forever grateful to them. Obviously, again, mentioned my dad there because obviously that was influ- in, you know influential in it all. But um, I was going to go in the RAF as a photographer. Uh, so I didn't go to college or uni, and I, I sort of was waiting for that stream to take place. And uh, the time that, that that my age was right, so just after leaving school, they, all the cutbacks came in from the first kind of white paper of the RAF. So uh, they lost a lot of of, of roles. Uh, they cut back all the staff, so there wasn't any actual opportunities openings for RAF photographers that time. So uh, I went away and worked in a camera shop, and waited and waited and waited, and it still didn't happen. Um, I think they offered me air traffic control as a as a kind of sideways trade, which I didn't really fancy at the time. So, and by then I'd uh, I found a girlfriend. I was really enjoying my 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 job and my hobbies and everything. So it just didn't really fit. So, uh, yeah, it it just didn't happen. And I, I started then working for some magazines on a freelance basis. Uh, found that I could write, you know, I just did GCSE at school. There's no, nothing, nothing special there, but found I could write, really enjoyed it and uh, submitted a lot of work on a freelance basis. And then that led to me to, to get a few um, more part time and eventually full time roles in aviation publishing. Uh, and then from one of those roles, I, I became editor of the world's largest aviation magazine, Combat Aircraft. Yeah. And deputy editor of Aircraft Illustrators, uh, Ian Allen, for like 10 years. So, um, yeah, crazy journey without any real <laughs> any real qualifications. How about that? <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Yeah, and yeah, maybe we can get into a bit of a, the nitty gritty here. So, yeah, like starting off, like how did you get into it professionally? Was it through connections or was it cold calling just saying like this is what I can do or how did it work? <laughs> Yeah, a bit, bit of both probably. I think you have to be uh, what I call professionally pushy, you know. Um, so if you're if you're too pushy, that's a nightmare. You know, that's that's a real problem. Um, so building up a relationship is is key to all of that, isn't it? And so everything that I've managed to achieve along that route has been through working on relationships and building up a network um, of contacts and stuff. So uh, the 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 break into it professionally, I mean really was was just by going out and doing it and submitting it on spec but uh not cold you know so that it was a kind of a, a warm reception when the winter when i used to submit stuff so i used to go around with jamie hunter obviously the legend that he is so yeah uh we he worked at heathrow at the time as a as a baggage dispatcher and i worked in a camera shop and we synced our days off on, on a, a thursday i think it was and just traveled the uk and you know, shot outside the fence at any any place at any exercise we could, and any, anything unusual. Then you sort of start submitting uh, your odd photograph here and there, and then we started travelling a bit further afield. So we went over to the states. Uh, it's kind of like early '90s now, 
and that would be our, our holiday kind of thing. So we'd, we'd save up our holiday and go go over to America. And I, I remember one of the trips tied up with um, with BRAC, Base Realignment and Closure, when the, the big sweeping changes came into the US military, in particular the, the Navy and the Marine Corps. And we were sort of out there at that time. And that was a bit of a problem because was, some of our access was affected by it. But there was a real story there. And so we, we, we wrote it and submitted it and it got published because it was brand new and no one, no one was out there at the time doing that. Uh, and that was great. And then, you know, you start again, build on that relationship again and, and say, right, I've got this idea for a story. And uh, remember, I did this for you. Or you can show another editor that you've just been published with this. This works. And this is what I'd like to do for you. So just kind of keep that approach going and make it easy for the editors as well you know uh, i think that's always key if you can supply as much information as possible without being too much i'm, I'm often guilty of supplying over supplying i suppose <laughs> um and yeah so just it is all then building up those relationships so uh, continue to do the freelance stuff and what, on one of those freelance trips i actually met up with the editor of, of aircraft illustrated we didn't know each other at the time alan burney absolute legend and uh it was in sweden <clears throat> And I, I, it was uh, an airline that just received 146s. So we were going up there. I think was, I remember it being Christmas time because I remember eating reindeer. And that was quite weird, <laughs> eating reindeer at Christmas. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, right. Um, so we met up and he told me his uh, he, he had a, an opening at Aircraft Illustrated. There was a, his, his deputy was going off traveling the world and he needed someone. And we, we just got on really well. And, you know, we didn't even talk about airplanes. And even then when he invited me for the interview, I remember there was no aeroplane uh, or, or even like like a pr- proper interview CV stuff and, you know, what are your aspirations? It was, it was all just around what music I liked. <laughs> so we just chatted for like an hour about music and then, um, yeah, got got the job. So, again, it's that. But what that all boils down to is, is just relationship and being, um, you know, as, as good a person as you can be, really. And, uh, you know, trying to make things work from there. It's a good starting point anyway. Yeah, so then early days, like you said, the America trick, uh, trip, uh, was it basically like, right, they might enjoy this or did they hire you specifically for this? I was like, oh, they're going to like this and then we'll submit it. Uh, so it starts with um, very much coming from the photographers themselves, because if you're unknown, then you won't really get a, a phone call. It doesn't really happen even now, you know, that. Uh, I'll get an editor ring up, ring me up, and say that I need this covered. Can you go and do it? Of course, that does happen, but that's mm-hmm. very rare. You know, they're they're busy enough at the magazine, so they have a a team of people <clears> that their own their own reporters. But if you're doing it freelance, generally it's 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 submitting on spec. Um, sometimes then you can then uh, it's a bit of chicken and egg, isn't it? Because yeah. if you need the access, then you need the letter to go there and say, look, I'm doing this for this this magazine. Um, so that's that's really important, and you've got to have a track record for that. And again, chicken and egg to get a track record, you have to get published first, right? So yeah, totally. uh, that that is not easy. It really isn't. And you know we're we're in a good age now where you can you know set up your own website and blog and things like that. But you know. You've got to be careful on that as well, because not all of that is necessarily what people are looking for. Uh, it, it's difficult to describe. But like, yeah. for example, if you're engaging with the RAF, then they're not necessarily all about the enthusiast. You know, they, they are, of course, that's a major part of it. But they're, they're much more interested in the wider reach of the message that they're, mm. they're trying to portray. So um, kind of like a, a website of your own photographs isn't necessarily going to be enough to say and i need access it doesn't doesn't really work like that so rich was there a point where you 
you thought like, right, I'm a professional now. Was there a photo or was there a time and point that you thought like, right, I've made it. Um, this is my <laughs> my journey in life. I don't think you've ever get to the point where you think you've made it, I, I think. But uh, <laughs> in terms of like, okay, this is real, this is happening. I think because in my case, it was so gradual, you know, you think from that early age, uh, going right the way through to being freelance and then employed to do this stuff. Uh, so I, I took, that's a long time, you know, so I don't think there was a defining point of like, okay, yes, I am now a professional photographer as such, but obviously, uh, when I, when I joined the magazines, that was a, a really big moment. That was in April, 1998. Now that was, um, that was really cool. But I think probably when you start to get your first article published, you know, your first, so it's not just the news photograph. Um, you know, you actually sat down and written something, you found out the information you've brought it all together and you submitted a package and then it's on the shelves in a tangible product that's pretty amazing um i suppose the next one then is uh we touched on it a bit earlier but when you actually then contacted to produce something you know um i remember one of the first ones of that being uh air international asked jamie and i to come up with something on the raytheon what was the is a bizjet raytheon premier one or something like that it was called yeah. Um, one of the first biz jets designed by computer. So we, this is like uh, probably mid 90s now, early 90s. Mm -hmm. So being asked to actually produce an article on something we, we to be honest, knew very little about because um, we we're very much on the military side. But, you know, um, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Uh, so there's those different stages of, of feeling, OK, this is cool. This is happening, I guess, rather than one big defining moment. Yeah, and obviously back in the day, it was there was no digital back in the nineties. So how yeah. did that work with you know like wet film or I don't even know what's called? Great. But how did that work? <laughs> so from a from a photographer point of view, I used to just take a, a massive suitcase full of Kodachrome sixty four over <laughs> to the states, you know, uh, all wrapped in lead bags and stuff so that, that that it wouldn't get x-rayed you had to check out what x-ray machines were being used wow. so it would fog the film and different countries had different levels of x-rays um that different film sensitivities could work with generally if you were sort of 64 or 100 iso asa um it was okay but like if you were using 400 or 800 then they might start to get a bit more sensitive to the the x-rays coming through on the baggage stuff so right. all that was a consideration and, and weight and everything else and then, of course, you had to wait, uh, and it was an exciting thing, as much of a, as a as a faff as it was, you know, getting back and then sending your images off to get processed, either prints for a laboratory or sending the the uh, the Kodachromes to Kodak and Fujis to a lab, you know, all that kind of thing. That was exciting stuff because you yeah. you didn't know what you got, and you'd have to wait. Sometimes, uh, I suppose the quickest the turnaround was probably about I don't know maybe four or five days, but wow. generally, especially in the summer months, it'd be like up to two weeks before you got your images back. And then you had to b battle, there was so many things that could go wrong. Oh my goodness, like scratches on the film, the way they processed them. I, I got some back from some Kodachrome labs and it looks as if they've been kicked all over the floor, you know, it was oh. just terrible. You just get a bit of dust or dirt in the in their in their machine and it just run through every single photograph you've taken in the whole batch um and there's no you know dust spots or anything else you, it's not no processing material you can use to to get rid of that so that was a real issue and then the, then the films would get lost in the post and then they get lost in the return and ah uh, just yeah so many so many different things but it was it cool it was so exciting and and you know the, the even just the 
the smell of the film as you open up the packet and you know sent it away and everything it was it was just pretty magical and I, I did also do my own processing in a dark room as well for black and white I'm that old dude you know this is <laughs> it's going way back so fixers and uh, different types of of Ilford and uh, Kodak papers and uh, it's just yeah drying and all over the kitchen and it was just pretty magical time really I want to get yeah. uh, onto co-op and, and uh, like yeah. soon but uh, when did you transfer to I guess wet film to digital uh, 2005 that was yeah and I, I so I started using Minolta cameras when I was in the in the camera shops working and they uh, they were an amazing company actually Minolta they were really innovative in terms of their autofocus and the, the features that were bought into cameras uh, in those early autofocus days and they unfortunately though they took a long time to go digital so I, I stayed faithful waiting for Minolta to go digital whilst Canon and Nikon actually actually did digital a little bit earlier than that and Kodak in fact as well um, but I held out and held out and held out and in the end actually Minolta went bankrupt they went bust and then they got taken over by another company called Konica uh, so I went with those guys and they, they weren't brilliant but I still needed to do it because they fit all my lenses uh, this is all 2005 and then uh, the whole lot got bought out by Sony that we know and love today and uh, I, at the same time, I actually switched to Nikon by that stage because um, the, the Nikon range was was expanding quicker, and my dad used it, and I could uh, nick all of his lenses. <laughs> so I made the decision to go to Nikon, and uh, yeah, I've stayed with Nikon ever since. Brilliant. So let's talk about co-op and and how did it actually start? And was uh, was it your idea? And just yeah, tell our viewers what it's all about. Well, it's an amazing company. I mean, I'm I'm so proud of it. I, they don't mind me saying, but um, the opportunities we've we've been able to give people over the years have been second to none. You know, they really are special, and I really pride myself in in the fact that we can take uh, anyone. You know, whether you're super experienced or just beginning in the whole journey of aviation photography and bringing you into these amazing situations whether that's air to air or a visit or, a, or a, an amazing trip around the world you know that kind of thing so the, the opportunities have, have been pretty epic and that, i suppose it's is that pro provision of opportunity that i absolutely love because that goes right back to the early 2000s when i was working at the magazines mm -hmm. and I noticed that there was a lot of really cool aircraft types being withdrawn in the early 2000s. There's kind of like this generational swap out of, <laughs> you know, all the, all the old classic Starfighters, Vigans, uh, Drakens, Sea Harriers, Jaguars, you know, there's so many. And because I was working on the magazine, I was wor working really closely with the squadrons because I was doing reports on them. And I got really close to the, the last Starfighters in Italy, the Italian wow. Air Force, as I say. I uh, went over there like maybe, I don't know, um, probably four or five times actually in, in my time there. And I knew the base really well. And I knew the people really well. And these jets are cool, man. They're starfighters, the last oh, yeah. starfighters in the world. So I knew there was something pretty special there. And I thought I, I had, again, enough of a relationship with the guys there to ask. I said, look, can I bring some of my readers over with me to, to, to experience what they're reading about? You know, they're seeing it in the magazine. But I think we could host... Uh, a group there on the end of the taxiway and I know you turn right out of there and I know the light is over there so if we could then move that in general it's kind of forming up a, a plan for guys to actually go over and see and photograph these before they were gone for good unfortunately they they agreed to the, the whole plan 
And I think I, I actually managed to get, uh, I think there was a group of 40 to start with. And I think we did that two or three times. Um, right the way. They, so there's, there's, you know, that's quite a lot of people that's coming out. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, it was an amazing time. But the world was a different place back then. Oh, totally. Big time. Uh, so, but that that then led to me thinking, okay, well, let's let's do that with that squadron that's going. Let's do that with that type that's going. And, you know, I was able to do this uh, based on the magazine. We'd go over and do a report on it, <clears throat> and bring guys with me and uh, absorb that squadron life. And that was really special. Um, so that was called the Aviation Photo Club, and that ran from uh, probably probably 2000 to about 2006 2007 something like that um and i left the magazines in around that time <clears throat> i went and did something completely different i worked with a uh, youth charity in my hometown for about four years or so so i came out of aviation entirely but uh that that period of of opportunity provision was never really forgotten and I, I you know I love doing it and people were still talking about it years afterwards so then obviously everyone's starting to go digital and everything else and I'm still keeping my hand I'm still you know doing a professional aviation stuff as a as a freelancer and I sort of thought well you know I, I've still got I think something to bring to the photographic community um this is 2014 uh and I still love it. I still do it. I've got a lot to bring in terms of experience and, um, you know, knowledge and education, teaching, all that good stuff. And I also think there's there's a there's a, a, a need for travel for just purely photographers. Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of great travel providers out there. There really is. But, um, you know, I thought, well, there's something needed there for just the photographers that don't mind you know, going out in a small group and spending all day and all night at one airfield because the light changes and the weather changes and the runway changes. So you get as maximum coverage and opportunity, a total immersion in aviation photography. So that's why I set Co-op up. Uh, and that was 2015. And that was with my right hand man, Steve, Steve Comba. And we've, uh, yeah, ran that ferociously, like 35, 30 weeks a year on the road. Wow. Um, right up until COVID, <laughs> yes. and it came crashing down. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, it's um, that was tough. Yeah, but going into the logistics of that, are you like the main point of contact? Do you have to organise, you know, contact the bases, squadrons. That must be quite a, you know. A, yeah, it's pretty like, intense. Oh. It it is. There's a lot. It's there's a lot going on, and I think. Um, you know, we're all busy, right? We've all got busy jobs and everything else. There's no doubt about it. This this, this era we live in, you, you, it's just crazy. But I love it. And I think is if you don't have that passion for what you do, then that becomes really tough. You know, so if I was, you know, fixing washing machines, which I really, that's not me. Uh, if I was fixing washing machines for a living and, you know, having to travel around the world, showing people how to do that, then... No, that that would be really tough. I think I, I, I don't think I could do that. But I think you know I'm I'm very lucky and very blessed. I know that to to be able to work in an industry I love and make something happen. You know, so I think that that passion is vital. Really, otherwise I couldn't do what I do. Yeah, and you mentioned it before. You said it was from professionals to beginners, and like, how do like on these trips do people interact? Is it is there a bit of nervousness from the you know the beginners to you know more professional people how does that um like interaction work mm. uh well i love the fact that it's in such small groups 
so there's there's no hierarchy there you know at all um it it, it's very easy to to have that i suppose in a larger group because you can you know be easier to hide or you always get the ringleaders kind of come through all that kind of thing it's just human nature isn't it but in a small group of six people away traveling in the states for a, for a 10 days or in japan for two weeks no you, you it's a level playing field and we everyone learns from each other because you know that that's one of the amazing things is 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 of course i've got a lot of you know experience and knowledge and stuff to to be able to impart and everything else and that's what part of why i love what i do but um, it's, it's also amazing to see how people learn from each other on these trips as well. You know, it's like, oh, what did you see? What did you do? What? Oh, that's the that's the Canon 7D. I'm I'm looking to get that. Or this is the Nikon, you know, D5. What's the difference between that and the D3, which I'm using now? And I, you know, I can't answer all those questions. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I know what I know, but um, yeah, just the the joint um, progression and learning of of. The, the wonderful subject of aviation photography is, is just excellent to watch. Absolutely. And do you have a favourite base or country that you've visited on these trips? Well, Tough one to know. Uh, I love Japan. I mean, that's that's an amazing place. Just yeah. The people and the culture and the food and just the way that they've got such a cool air force <laughs> no, really do. um <laughs> that's right up there you know, i really do enjoy Jap- japan and i think because it's not always with co-op stuff it's not always about the airplanes it is about experiencing the culture and the food and the social times and everything else um so japan really fits that that mold very well um i also love switzerland really love shooting out there again the, the access is is great mm-hmm. um but you've got the scenery and the weather to match it as well. And that's really cool. Uh, I, I love the, the the deserts of America. You can't fail to, to mention that, you know, oh, yeah. uh, just those desert road trips around Arizona, Nevada, California, just so special. But, you know, I, I, I can't wait to go to Fairford this week. And, you know, I just I, it, it's really hard to pin down because they're all so special because it's it's people and aeroplanes and the passion that comes from all of that together, really. But if standout would be Japan, Switzerland and I think, yeah, the, the West Coast of, of the States. So, yeah, let's talk about uh, co-op online, because obviously yeah. with COVID going up, I, I, I've seen the progress on social media. Can you tell us about that, Rich? Yeah. So, so back in uh, February to 2020, uh, to February 28th, we landed back from Japan. Um, a few masks being worn and stuff out there and on the, on the flights home. And we were a bit like, ah, you know, it's nothing. It'd be over in a couple of weeks. And then obviously March came about and we had some events in March that we were like, nah, okay, let's, let's cancel those. This, this is, you know, getting in the news and then, but next month will be fine. Next month will be fine. Summer will be fine. Autumn will be fine. And I mean, we, we it was over, uh, it was about 24, 25 events I had to cancel. Wow. And either the, obviously the, the cash went back or refunded or, or whatever, you know, so it was horrific watching something you've built just collapse in front of you. I, I know, and I'm not, I'm not alone and, you know, crikey, there's far worse stories out there than, than mine, I'm sure. But um, it was still, you know, it still hits home, doesn't it, you know? So uh, did, did what I could and tried to get as much as, 
I don't trying to make life work in that in that period with two teenagers and a and a my my wife was um she she did the, the key worker stuff at school, oh, wow. looking after the, the vulnerable kids and stuff at school. So she was she managed to work. Um, and I I just sort of like thought, well, what can we do? You know, if you're if I'm sat around twiddling my thumbs waiting for then everyone to say it's okay to travel, you know, when's that going to be? How's that going to work? It's just devastating, absolutely yeah, devastating. So uh, I thought, well, what can we do? You know, what what is there out there? What um, what 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 gaps are around? What, how can I help the the community, the the aviation, um, you know, the whole whole setup? What what's missing? And you know, obviously the connection was missing at that time. Um, so there was. I don't know. I, did, I just identified a number of gaps. There, there wasn't there wasn't a, an online aviation photography community membership. There wasn't any entertainment for aviation photographers. Um, there was a lack of photo competitions. There wasn't any specific um, photography, lifestyle, clothing brands, that sort of thing. And a few other bits and pieces as well. Like I noticed how the news was just spread over so many different platforms. You know, you had to be on every single social media platform. Yeah. And even then, it was kind of divided up into military, civil. You know, there wasn't anything that covered everything. And going back to Aircraft Illustrated where, from the magazine days, you know, I used to love that. That magazine was fantastic because it, yeah. it did the best of everything, you know. So I just sort of thought, well, there's, there's a few gaps there. So I thought, well, let's let's bring all of that together and produce a, a news site that has got everything on it. You know, everything you want to read, everything you want to see, everything you want to watch, listen to. Uh, all the headline news, civil military preservation, all in one space. So you don't have to worry about, you know, being on social media. Some people are really, you know, not enjoying social media as well, of course. And yeah. so then I wanted to bring, uh, sideways from that, I wanted to bring people together off of uh, all of the different Facebook groups and everything else and just be together as a group of uh, purposeful community of aviation photographers. So that was the membership side. Uh, set up a, an online shop with some really cool aviation merch that you would wear normally, you know, uh, just out and about or um, at, at social functions or whatever. So that, that's that's under Hangar 75, which has been really good. Uh, and then um, the, the main thing as well was the entertainment, you know, sitting down. <laughs> there, there's so much you can watch and so much stuff in our phones nowadays, but nothing specifically around aviation photography and the pursuit and the, the, the fun and the road trip element yeah. of it. So I set up a, 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 some TV channels to, to cover all of that. So that was that's been good fun and a real challenge as well. Mm-hmm. And then finally, there was a very clearly a, a, a gap of. Uh, knowledge and tutorials and workshops because aviation photography is is such a specialist niche isn't it you know some really amazing uh things we do with it and everything else but there's so much more that could be done and i noticed that if you if you were looking for a specific aviation photography tutorials you kind of had to go for a bit of like okay a bit of bird photography a bit of landscape photography a bit of modeling photography tutorials on youtube and that sort of thing and you know I wanted to do that. I've been wanting to do that for so long as part of co-op, but traveling 35, 30 weeks a year makes that really hard. So I was like, right, this is it. You know, this is the, this is the opportunity. So I turned this room you're sitting in, we're, we're sitting in now in uh, my son's bedroom, um, into a, into a studio. 
and set about creating this membership that would do all of that and more. And uh, yeah, that launched a, a year to the day, actually, bizarrely, February, literally February 28th, 2021, it was ready. Uh, so that launched and has been fantastic. You know, the, 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 the amount of stuff that people have got from the membership in terms of, you know, just um, relationship and community and, you know, just driving their photography forward has, has been so amazing to watch. You know, I'd never thought that'd be possible. Uh, and I've, we've then hooked up with, um, I've got another guy come on board, Thomas Dolt. Uh, Tom Dalt, and he's uh, he's come along and we, we've created something called Aviation Creatives. And this is going to take the education and, and workshop stuff to the next level. I mean, we're talking, you know, week long live tutorials. We're wow. talking uh, huge. Like the, the one, the first one that's going to go live in about a month's time is no word of a lie. The, the world's most comprehensive guide to Adobe Lightroom for aviation photography. I mean, it's going to be like 50 odd lessons, you know, of all bite size, you know, it just little like this is this, this is this, look at this, this is how this works, step by step the whole way through it. So uh, and then the one after that is going to be how to write, you know, we talked on that a lot today as well. So that, you know, engage, engaging social media captions, uh, approaching a magazine, how to write an article, how to interview someone. Yeah, you're pretty good at that. Um, <laughs> so all of those things coming in terms of a, how to, you know, really push forward and make 2022, especially this the, the year to make your photography just take to new heights. There's no doubt about it. It's going to be amazing. That sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. There's obviously so much there, but yeah. Yeah, you were talking about social media there, uh, mm. because as we know, social media can be a bit of a hmm, yeah. Can. Know, uh, so it seems like you can get a, a group of you know guys and gals, and they can yep. you know you know share information uh, yep. without being nasty. It sounds like a great I, place to be, mate. Honestly, I've, that's been amazing. I, I think uh you know it's not me saying this it is it's the guys that are, that are part of it that have said like that this is worth the membership alone just to be part of that community you know because there's been so much help across the board from each other uh getting stuck in and just you know yeah just that like i said just that that community and it's uh, being in touch with each other and uh, meeting up with each other and learning from each other it's just it's just crazy it's, it's just been absolutely lovely to watch it really has Absolutely. That's amazing. And how do you uh, feel about social media um, in terms of uh, photography criticism? Do you, do you think it's nice to like be nicey nice or I'll just go say this is rubbish, this is what you should do, or do you think you should work your way in there and just kind of push it <laughs> nicely? Yeah, I think there's a time and a place, isn't there? So if, yeah. if you waded into one of the Facebook groups that have got like 20,000 members yeah. and there's some, you know, say average, below average photography, and you've got a point to prove then like you know there's there's, de there's just ways and means of doing that isn't there and, and it's it's kind of what's the motivation behind that yes yes um you know are you doing it because you want to make yourself look bigger and in which case you're going to get seen through straight away and i i don't know it's just a it can be so toxic can't it so i think again it's down to relationship i think if you're part of that community and regularly posting and then a, a, and offering a bit of insight into how you got those images and then you've kind of i use the phrase lightly but earning the right to be able to say okay well you know just try this you know in my opinion this could work or yeah. this is how i would have approached that because you know that's far more valuable than that hey great shot mate and we all know it's not you know or just doing it because it's the 
the moderator of the group or whatever. But that that's a massive reason why I set up Kayak Online because constructive criticism is hard to deliver. Yeah. Um, and you need to be in the right frame of mind to be able to receive it as well. Because it, and it's also really hard to convey emotion, isn't it? As we know, over text or whatever. So if you're in, a, in an active community like we've created with Kayak Online, then you're kind of there for that purpose. You know, so we, what is, what is it we're running now? Nine months or whatever. And it's it's there to give that constructive criticism. Uh, or, and it's, it's not even criticism. I don't even know whether that's the right word. It's probably just critique. Um, so, you know, we, we, I'm host, hosting, a the next thing I'm doing on, on, on live like this is, uh, is a, is a whole evening of just critiquing images from the last shoot we did. So, you know, everyone's sending them in, um, I'm going to show them what I did and how I did it and show the before and after stuff of, of, of how I processed them and, uh, talk through their own images and answer any questions they've got. So we were all at the event together so you can kind of see everyone else's work and how they approached it. I mean, that's just not happening anywhere else, right? That's, I, I love that. It's cool. It's just really cool. It's, it's great. amazing. And just to get on, like, on the side note here, is aviation, obviously, it, it is subjective. So I might yeah. like a picture of someone, I'm like, that's amazing. But as a professional like yourself, would you point out and be like, that's not right, even if I liked it? Or is there like a technical thing like, oh, you could have done better there, even if the other person likes it? Or is there a mm. right and wrong in aviation photography? No, there isn't. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? But it it is an art form, so you know, it is it is subjective. Um, there's there's I think there's definitely lines, though. You know, uh, I think you one of the hardest lines, uh, as in the most solid line, uh, is that it has to be in focus. You know, I think that's that's the underlying one of everything, um, because if it's if it's a blurry shot, that then that looks a bit weird. You know, you, you that's going to be harder to make right. Um, but in terms of how you process it and the look you go for, then, you know, of course, they, you know, it's a, it's a creative journey. And I think within that, I would say there's definitely then lines. Again, I, I always use the, the analogy of when like the two Lancasters came over. Mm. So I, I wanted a, you know, evocative kind of sunsetty type shot and they didn't fly in that kind of weather or that time of day, really. So. Um, I shot them at Dunsfold, I remember, um, and there was a fairground in the fore, you know, in the front, in the foreground. So I had to take some of that out, and then I, I, you know, increased all the colours and the, the contrast and the warmth and everything else to make it look like it was sunset. And it was the, the, the evocative image I wanted to portray. So that was right. a creative process. But I always say, like, if I'd have added a third Lancaster into it, then, you know, for me, that's my line. You know, that 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 can't happen. That's not possible in this in this age we live in you know but someone else might think oh i'm gonna add five lancasters into it why not you know it's, it's a flight of lengths coming home after a mission you know why not so you know i think those lines are there but they're different for everyone i think um yeah and that's part of the beauty of of aviation photography isn't it you know we can interpret it anywhere other way but i also think that within creativity there's so many different directions you can go but if your photography is all about that perfect side-on image that you can see the registration, you can see the markings, then that's an art in itself. You know, that's a really good pursuit and a really hard thing to get right is to get the photograph exactly as it should be and all those colours exactly right and the lighting exactly right. You know, that's, that's a skill in itself, you know. Absolutely. And you know, we, we see in aviation photography magazines, you know, uh well there isn't one <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> have, but, uh, um, i meant aviation magazines like air forces monthly and combat you know they're very much you look at the images in there 
and they're very much uh, as we see it, as the eye sees it. There's not really a lot of publications that use creative mm-hmm. aviation photography processing, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at cars, it's totally different. You know, like, oh, you yeah. magazine or Evo magazine in particular. You know, they're they're full of creative. You know, you've got graduations and you've got desaturated images and you know creative angles and you know. I don't know. We we don't really go that line in terms of publishing, but on social media you see it a lot more, don't you? You know, it's sort of it's all about stopping that thumb thumb scroll, isn't it? And you've got like one point two seconds to grab yeah. someone's attention. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, if you're picking up a magazine and it tells you the ins and outs of that whole squadron, you want to see exactly what you're seeing, I, I guess. Um, but in on a on a phone, you want to be stopped and stunned by this the the colours and the you know the striking processing perhaps it's just an interesting point and personally you probably don't but maybe you do but if you get criticized for your photos how do you take it personally oh no one does (laughs) (laughs) Uh, question i mean uh i mean everyone always learns right you know all the time i i I take too long to process. I send far too many images to a magazine editor. Um, I write too many words. I don't know flash photography particularly well, you know? So all of those things, they're literally just off the top of my head. I can sit down with someone and they can, they can tell me everything that I, that they know, and I'll try my best to, you know, to, to increase my knowledge and experience in those areas. So, uh, I think you're always learning definitely. Um, and I, you know, I think anyone that thinks they're at the top of the game and, and, and have finished then finish then because, uh, you know, absolutely, that's, that's, yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't think you ever get there. <laughs> and with your photography as well, uh, I think as soon as I see a picture, I'll be like, that's Rich Cooper's. I can just tell, I can just straight away tell it's a Rich Cooper image and there, uh, which is great. That's really cool. That's, that's really kind. Uh, that, that means a lot actually, because it, it's, it's something that I try and teach as well. So it's really cool. You notice that because I think you, you need to have your own standout image, you know, and if, if you're able to, there's, there's a few photographers out there, isn't there, that you can flick through social media and you can kind of tell that's their Absolutely. shot without yeah. seeing their, their image. And that's great. You know, that means you, you're, you've you got a niche within a niche now. Yeah. And you're able to put your your own stamp of creativity onto something. I think that's fantastic. And before yeah, we th- get into the personal questions here, Rich, uh, how do you feel about... Um, people i guess nicking photos and claiming them mm-hmm. as their own how do you feel like that online I've, i come across it a lot like probably not daily but sometimes it is daily actually crikey oh no it's, it's, yeah there's certain images that of mine that just are, are out there that just go round and round and round and get picked up and you know so i think social media is what i would call an acceptable risk you know, you, you ha- kind of, for me at least, okay, so I'm only talking about myself, I have to be on there because it uh, shows my work, it shows who I, how I do things, it uh, sends out the message about what you can do with co-op and all of that, all that kind of good stuff as well. So I have to be on it. Um, but, but you know, the, the risk is then if I, if I go out and shoot stuff, then I put it on social media because I need to show what I'm doing and how I do it. Yeah. And then that go, it's just gone, you know, it, and that's not right, but that does happen regularly. You know, the, there's a whole, we could do a whole episode on image theft and copyright, couldn't we? You know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a big subject, but it is. Uh, I, I, 
sometimes I've got the fight in me and sometimes I haven't. Um, so if I see something that I've put out there and say someone's actually physically cropped a watermark, yeah. uh, reposted it without a credit or, you know, it's just annoying. It's just no need for it. It's so lazy and annoying. I, I just, yeah, that, that can really grate on me, but you know, other times it won't. I just haven't got the fight. You know, <laughs> my, my sisters are actually really good at picking it up. So they, <laughs> If they see someone's tagged me in something and it's like, oh, is this your shot? And then they, they quite enjoy harassing the owner of <laughs> the, the, the page who breached the copyright or whatever. That's quite good fun. But, um, yeah, I, I, it's an acceptable risk it, for me personally. Uh, and, you know, there's ways to mitigate that risk. You can put a water watermark right across it. Um, you can obviously limit who sees the shot. Uh, but you can still screenshot it and take it. You know, it, there's there's no fail safe way to protect that from happening but uh yeah you can just do what do anything you can to stop it and then uh and then chase them down when they do do it because it but it does get exhausting yeah i've seen it on instagram i mean my instagram i post uh you know, my photos as well, but obviously because of my channel, like if the guest sends mm. me a photo, I'll always credit them saying, even if they yeah. don't know who the person is, I'll say, send yeah, by sure. whatever the guest name is. Yeah. But then yeah. you'll see channels where they have like 100,000 subscribers and they're basically just yeah. nicking off the net and yeah. claiming them as their own. I'm like, how are you getting away with it? And how do you have so many followers? It baffles me. And then and they might be making money from that as well. And it just seems yeah. unfair. Yeah, it does. It does. It's a good word. It is unfair. It's, it's not. It's not right. Uh, yeah, it's one of the, the battles of our time, isn't it? No doubt. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're going to get on something uh, a bit more lighter here, uh, Rich. But uh, yeah. So, do you have any hobbies apart from aviation? Love football. Love it. Right. Not very good at it anymore. <laughs> was, was I ever any good? Maybe not. <laughs> but I, lo I love watching it. I love watching my son. He's uh, he's really come along really well in his his pursuit of it. Uh, love watching it on telly and love playing it whenever I can. Could be a difficult one, but I think I know the answer to this. Favourite aircraft? Well, that is a difficult one. <laughs> I mean, it is the Phantom, right? You know, that, that's, that's the one I thought. <laughs> that, it, has to, yeah, it literally has to be. But I, I, I absolutely love the MiG-29. I love it. You know, having grown up in that sort of 80s into 90s and seeing them fly into my hometown of Farnborough and... Yeah. The, the the classic shape and what it represents you know um not so much now but you know what i mean you know that mm -hmm. that sort of like the the enemy you know whatever but the smoky engines the the shape of it uh the tail the twin tails the the intake it's cold war isn't it <laughs> it is it is I, I i really i've got a real soft spot for me 29s mm -hmm. apart from the phantom um which is the favorite aircraft you have photographed that would be the Tomcat or the F one one seven. I know you love the one seven. The one one seven. Yeah, really tough. I, I suppose because, oh, I can't choose between those two. <laughs> you know, the following that the Tomcat's got and just how damn cool that aeroplane yeah. is, community. But then how damn cool the story is of that F one one seven. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, you, I can't choose between those two. <laughs> I'll give you two then. I'll, I'll give you them both. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So is there one aircraft you haven't photographed yet that you would love to? Um, I'd like to work with uh, the US Air Force B-1 community actually at their home base. I've not uh, not shot any of them operationally. Uh, so that would be really cool. I'd really enjoy it. I, I, it's, it's such a 
it's an amazing airplane isn't it it's so much power and so photogenic and yeah I, I think that would be amazing to work with those one day and we've got a couple of questions from our patrons if you're happy to add and say oh yeah which. definitely right so this is from marcel moser um, in order to achieve a nice prop disc when photo uh, photographing a helicopter or propeller plane, one yep. must use a slow shutter speed. Yes. Low sp uh, shutter speed leaves you vulnerable to any sort of vibration. So yes. my question is, what, uh, what would the technique be, or perhaps gear, required to dump any vibration mainly generated by the photo ship? Is the image stabilizer found on modern camera enough to compensate? Okay, so um, yes is the answer in terms of is that enough to compensate? Um, but the, as with anything, the more you spend, the better that is. That's that's something that you really see an increase in uh, effectiveness as you as you spend more money on lenses. The VR or the IS gets better and better. Um, so I would definitely invest as much as you can in your lens for for that reason, but also then the quality of the glass as well. Um, there's also gyros you can you can buy now they they they're a lot of money like thousands and they mm -hmm. sit underneath the camera and they they literally like it's a really weird effect like floats in your hand, um, uh, but you can hire them as well. So if you've got a specific shoot you want to do, like say you are going air to air with a warbird for example, uh, and it's a one-off, then it's absolutely worthwhile hiring a gyro. Um, they, they can be really hard to get used to though. Honestly, they, they, they are tough bits of kit and they're very heavy. So I would recommend perhaps hiring it for a few days beforehand to get really used to it as well. Uh, so that there are two ways to mitigate. I would say then also using, um, like a, a high speed burst mode of not, not continuously, but shooting in short, sharp bursts would, would be a good idea. Uh, generally sort of like the, the shots in the middle of that burst would, would in theory be the ones that would be sharper because you kind of like you might have a bit of movement at the start then you're more solid uh obviously then there's technique you know it's immediately my elbows are in do you see me do that it was just you know, muscle memory so elbows in like really solid uh shape of your body um would be really useful i would say uh don't lean. Don't make sure you're not you're not touching any area of the aeroplane because that's vibrating. So you might be tempted to lean against you, the aircraft you're flying in. That's that's a write-off because you'll be vibrating even more. Um, what else? You could you, uh, don't get too hung up about it. Crikey, you know, full desk isn't everything because if you try to get a full disc on the whole shoot and you come back and everything's blurred because you went too slow, then it's, the whole thing's a write-off. So always start a bit slower, uh, sorry, a bit faster. That's really important, start faster, and then slow your shutter speed down. And this is from someone who wanted to stay anonymous. Uh, what gear would oh? you suggest for a beginner? A phone. Really? You, wow. The stuff you can get on your phone nowadays is fantastic. You know, that that's, that's a bit of a sideways answer, but, uh, um, you know, it's in your pocket, and if you've if you've not done aviation photography and you go to an air show, then you know you can you can the results you can get from those things are absolutely incredible, especially in museums nowadays. Goodness me! Yeah. So that you know, don't 
be afraid of of just using what what's in front of you and getting out and and looking for different angles that sort of thing um i would recommend you know anything from the the main manufacturers now is is good you know there used to be a time uh when they would produce really bad cameras you know back in the first days of autofocus and the early digital stuff was was pretty bad but you think of how much technology has moved on now uh in cameras you know you you can't really buy a bad camera so I would invest in the lens. That's really important. And obviously, the the, the more you can invest in the body, then the better sensor uh, you, you'd get and the better ability in low light and how well the camera's made. They're the main advantages in, in spending money. More money, the better on those on those particular fields. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, it, it depends. You can, you can get some great secondhand models as well. Uh, so anything from Canon, Nikon, Sony, uh, you know, Olympus have got some great stuff as well. Pentax is still in the mix, but any of those, any of those really. But Canon and Nikon, I would say, probably have got the best range of lenses for the beginner. Sony is excellent, but the, the lenses are quite expensive still. Uh, so any, anything from those two, suiting your budget, is uh, is perfect. And just like this is a side note for me, uh, does the price put people off at all? Because you see cameras in the you know, start from 500 and they go to thousands. Does that put people yeah. off at all? I suppose it could do. I mean, we've all got a budget, haven't we, as, as to what you need. And um, uh, yeah, I, I, yes, it, it can, of course, put people off. I think I think if you've got, don't expect too much from, from those early beginner cameras, because especially at an air show, because I tell you that the airplanes and stuff, they fly so far away nowadays for all the right reasons for regulations and crowd control and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you need like five, 600 mil to be able to get anything nowadays from that. So, you know, expectations are really important there. You know, you're not going to be able to get those in your face images of, of aircraft flying with a beginner camera with a, you know, lands up to 300 or even 400 mil but you can think cleverly about it and think okay well i'm not going to go and concentrate on the, the aircraft flying but i'm going to get some great artistic statics i'm going to photograph the people and the pilots that are involved i'm going to photograph the crowd i'm going to photograph them taxiing where where are the airplanes taxiing where are they actually going to be closer to me rather than being part of the the group herd mentality and just going straight to the front and sticking your camera up at the sky. You know, there's so much more to an event than that. Yeah. So um, work within the limitations of, of, of your camera. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, generally, if you if you put too much pressure on yourself as well, then you're only going to get disappointed anyway. So it's kind of a great school of thought of just go and enjoy yeah. it. And, and then your, your photography will improve as a result because you're enjoying it. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say that's a, that's an important factor. Um, the last one is from Chris. Um, I, when I go to air shows, I see photographers always looking at their cameras. Do they ever feel they're missing out at an air show? Oh yeah. Their cameras? So, oh man. So I've been <laughs> up in, uh, on some amazing air to airs and, you know, you sort of look around at what, what people are doing, checking they're okay and that, and they're, you know, looking at, looking at the back of the camera and there's like a, it's just this beautiful spitfire there and you know so a, a part of some some of the stuff i i try and instill to people and it's, it is hard mm-hmm. um is is to absorb what you you're doing and take it all in as well you know put the camera down and, and just look at it and breathe it all in and it's, it's also often the case where it's almost opposite as well that 
uh, say like I'm in, in a flight and there's, there's aircraft moving into position. So I've called them over here and now I'm going to call them over here. And that was the shot and that was the shot. But just there is an amazing image, yeah. you know, so it's, it's being aware what you're doing, but also you kind of like you have to have your mind's eye on that side of things. So you, you don't want to take your eye away from the action, especially, you know, if it's a really short air to air engagement or something. Um, but not not at the expense of ever, you know, losing the moment. You know, it, it's it's sad, isn't it? We all we're all guilty of it. I mean, crikey, you know, go to a concert, or whatever else, and you see yeah, you're totally. watching the concert on the on the screen of your lens of your phone. It's like, oh my goodness. So it is a, it is a discipline. But you know, we, we're quite blessed now in this age to be able to see what we're taking, aren't we? You know, so it's kind of like, did I get that shot? Yes. Do I need to change it? Yes, so I'm now going to improve on that. So there is there is uh, swings and roundabouts to being able to to see the image, but don't let it take over the whole experience. Brilliant. Well, thanks for answering our viewers' questions there, Rich. But uh, yeah, so you mentioned co-op there. Uh, so where can we find you online? Tell us a website if you've got any social media out there. Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, Instagram, I personally am Rich Cooper UK, and uh, Instagram for co-op is at center of aviation photography it's quite a long one uh then uh, on facebook uh, center of aviation photography again same and then online uh, website stuff so there's coaponline.com that's c-o-a-p online.com and that's the membership and then we're just about to launch the travel side of things again so we're, we're redesigning the website a little bit and that'll be a couple of weeks but that'll be coapaviation.com and then we've got uh, an amazing media engagement set up for magazines called coopmedia.com. And then I've finally, the, the shop is coop-hangar75.com. So there's so much to go and have a look at. And I really hope you enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, I'll link all the, um, what thanks. Rich just said in the description below. But Rich, thanks very much for joining. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Yeah, you bet. I really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Cheers.